if you've brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, which is the largest book in the Scriptures, right in the middle, uh, to the very first Psalm. Psalm 1 uh, is where we'll be at this morning. The book of Psalms, Psalm 1. It is just six verses long. I'd like to read to you the whole Psalm, and then we'll go to the Lord together uh, in a word of prayer. Um, I have told you before that um, it's been my conviction for the last several years that I never uh, really spend enough time in the book of Psalms. I, I, you know, I've noticed that some people are, are kind of a Psalms, you're either a, a Psalms person or you're not a Psalms person. I am not a Psalms person and the Lord kind of dealt with me, convicted me of that and so I've made a conscious effort to spend more time uh, in the Psalms and as a result I've noticed I've, I've preached a little more on the Psalms. That's the reason I started reading a, a Psalm that I felt like or a part of a Psalm that I felt like was a call to worship to begin our worship services is to try to, to spend more time in the Psalms because they're very rich. Um, in Psalm chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in verse 1, uh, and let me say this before I start reading. I, I read somewhere once that there's more prophecies of Christ in the book of Psalms than in any other book in the Bible. I, I've not counted that out. I don't know that for sure, but I did read that somewhere. Uh, in Psalm, uh, the first Psalm, uh, the first verse says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we just humbly come before you here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you, Lord, for each one that you've sent our way this morning. We thank you, Lord, for uh, uh, the roof you put over our head. Lord, the, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have. Uh, Lord, I, there's so much turmoil and things going on all over the world. Uh, Lord, but yet we, we, have, we can come here freely uh, without any kind of fear of persecution or anything like that. And Lord, we know that that's a gift from you and we give you the glory for it. But we thank you most of all this morning for your son Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and that you give him so that we uh, might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. And Lord, we're not worthy and we don't deserve that. And we could never do enough to thank you or repay you. But Lord, you, you knowing that, done it anyways. And so Lord, let us always have praise and glory on our lips for you because you alone are worthy of our worship. 
And so, Lord, we just pray as we go forward here this morning uh, that you would just uh, continue to have your way and your will in our midst here this morning. Lord, that your presence would be felt and known here in a mighty way. God, that you would search every heart here. Lord, I know that there's no one here by accident. I know that everything is, is, is known to you. But Lord, my prayer this morning is, is that you would meet every need that is here. Lord, you tell us in your word that you're the searcher of hearts. And so there's nothing that is hidden from you. And so, Lord, my prayer is, is that, uh, you know, I don't know the needs of everyone here, but you do. And I know there's some that need to be encouraged and some that need to be lifted up, some that need a healing touch in their body, some that just need to walk closer to you. I know there's some amongst us that probably need to give up some things and forsake some things and turn away from some things. And I know there's probably some of us that's let some sin come into our lives that we need to repent of and get out of the way. I know that there's probably some of us that are maybe not where we used to be or where we ought to be. Maybe some that are backslidden. Maybe there's some among us here this morning that's lost and doesn't even know you. And so Lord my prayer this morning is, is that you would move in a mighty way in our midst and do what only you can do here and we'll give you the glory for it. So Lord my prayer is, is help me get out of the way. Help us to set aside uh, all of our other cares and concerns and thoughts and let us focus on you for this next little bit. And so, Lord, my prayer is, is, is that you would just uh, not only clear my mind, but you would give me the words that you'd have me to speak here this morning. Place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to preach. Lord, just help it roll from my spirit to their spirit. Lord, I'm asking for your anointing. Lord, for uh, your empowering uh, from on high. Lord, just have your way and your will in this in the service in our midst, in my heart, in my life, in my preaching here this morning. Use me one more time here this morning and I'll be sure and give you the glory for it. God, bless each one, touch each one. Uh, Lord, convict us of where we need it. Lord, have your way and your will. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I was thinking... Um, I was thinking some about, about faith. I was thinking about the scriptures. I was thinking about our Lord. Uh, you know, there is a historical argument, a good solid historical argument to be made for the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, there is a, I believe, a very good logical argument based on evidence for him being just exactly who he claimed to be, who he said that he was. I think that we have historical evidence inside and outside of the scriptures both. Speaking of the scriptures, there's a good historical argument to be made for the authenticity of the scriptures and for the <coughs> age of the scriptures. I guess when it comes right down to it, um, there's a logical argument that could be made based on the things that the scriptures say that um, there is just no way for having known or predicted or prophesied without the supernatural knowledge. Uh, it, but, you know, so there, so there is that logical argument that is made uh, for, for the um, inspiration of the scriptures. Um, and, I mean, you know, and, and we could talk about the existence of God and the argument that, that, and it's a logical argument, but the argument that can be made for that 
But really, when it comes right down to it, it's a matter of faith, right? I mean, you can accept those um, intellectual arguments and, and, and uh, philosophies and things or not, you know. I mean, you can choose to believe or to not believe. I mean, we live in a day and time where reality is, you know, I mean, the very things that people see, they sometimes choose not to believe. So, I mean, when it comes down to it. And so when I think about that, and I, and I think, you know, it is a matter of faith whether or not you are going to believe, right? Whether you are going to believe the Bible is literally the Word of God. Whether or not you are going to accept and believe Christ. And, you know, really when it comes down to it, uh, uh, you know, I think about these things and, and, and I think about the, the you know, the intellectual argument that can be made and I think about well it has to be something that is done on faith but yet it's not blind faith by any means I remember when the Lord I mean the Lord had been speaking to my heart for a long time and and I had been kind of pushing back against it and not wanting to accept and not wanting to believe and so anyways I, I think about all these things and I think about my own journey uh, in my own life and what God has done in the way that he just wouldn't leave me alone he kept coming after me even when I was in my deepest and darkest sin even when I was as far away from God as you can be and running from God and, and denying his very existence deep down there was something inside of me I know what that something is now but then I didn't in any ways of the existence of God and who he was and I really didn't need to be convinced because I knew those things it was whether or not I was going to accept him and receive him and give him my life and so as I look at this and I look at the scripture, I think about um, Martin Luther once said that we go to the Bible in the same manner that the shepherds went to Bethlehem searching for Christ. We go to the scriptures searching for Christ. And we find him there in every page. From Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, right? To the, to the very end of Revelation chapter, was it 22? To the very end of it, there he is. We find him revealed page after page and page and, and discussed. And so, uh, and that is the theme, that is the scripture, and that's where our heart is drawn, right? I testified to you here just a week or two ago how God was dealing with me and I would try to read the scripture even long before I was saved. And, and so anyways, I was going there, right? Searching for Christ because I was missing that. And my spirit knew that I was missing that, you know. But there's a lot of sub-themes that go through the scripture. And it's all connected. It's all part of Jesus and who he is and what he done. But uh, for instance, there's two realities, Right? Uh, there is one that is seen and one that is unseen, right? One that is natural and one that is supernatural, right? As we go through, there is two conflicting kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There are two entry points, right? There is a wide gate leading to destruction and then there is a narrow gate leading to life. If we look through the, the, the lens that the Bible gives us to view History, we see that through the whole thing, there is the concept of two men. 
which is explained in detail in Romans chapter 5 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it is called the first Adam and the last Adam. But we see shadows or types of that through from the first pages of the scriptures. We see it with Cain and Abel. And then a little bit later on, we see it again with Ishmael and Isaac. And then Esau and Jacob. And later on, David and Saul. And I could just go on and on until finally we have the climax of the, of the Scriptures, right? We see the end of history as the Bible presents it to us with the Christ and Antichrist. All the way through, two men... Two ways, two destinies. It's really as simple as that. Life is a journey offering two roads. And I understand that in the society that we live in, at the place where our culture here in America is, the idea that, that there is only two roads is an, offen an offensive idea. Right? I know it offends the most delicate among us, right? We don't like the idea today of an either or. We like a both and an and. We like a my truth and your truth, right? Isn't that the philosophy of the world today, right? You have your experiences, I have my experiences, and we can have two sets of contradictory truths. But you see, the Bible does not present that. The Bible does not offer that view. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us specifically that that is not the case. That that is nothing but smoke and mirrors. It's nothing but uh, the, uh, the devil's latest ploy for deception, to deceive you into believing a lie. The scripture tells us by the time that we get to the end, Right when the Antichrist, the man of uh, the uh, man of sin, the son of perdition, by the time that he enters onto the scene, that there will be many, many who will have been deceived. It even tells us that if the time wasn't cut short, if it was possible, it's not possible, but if it was, even the very elect would have been deceived. And so we see this idea. It is an either or. There are only two roads in this life, and they lead in opposite directions. There is a road that leads to life, and there is a road that leads to destruction. Psalm chapter 1 is a wisdom psalm, and it, it this is what it is explaining to us. This is what it is telling us about, what it's trying to teach us. And so it advises us to reject uh, the one lifestyle, right? Which is the one road, which is the one way that leads to destruction, right? The lifestyle of the wicked is the terminology it uses. And instead to choose the other road, which is a, 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 a path to God, right? One uh, of the, where we are loyal to God, one where we obey God. In other words, it's instructing us to live a godly life. When we look at this, <coughs> excuse me, this psalm, um, the structure of it's pretty simple. There's just six verses. You can divide it into three sections, verse 1 and 2, verses 
3 and 4, and verses 5 and 6. The, the first uh, section, verses 1 and 2, is the description, right? It describes to us what it, what it is that a godly person does do and what it is that a godly person does not do, right? It's the do's and the don'ts. Verses 3 and 4 gives us the contrast, right? In other words, the godly are like the trees that are planted by the water. And the ungodly, are uh, they are the opposite of that, right? They are like the the chaff, or chaff, or however you say it, that the wind blows away. What the chaff is, if you're not familiar, is it's the it's basically the hulls, right, of the of the wheat, right. So whenever they would harvest their grain, their wheat, they would take it to the thrashing uh, floor and they would um, they would smash it, break it up. I, I've never done it before. I guess I don't know exactly how it works. But anyways, those hulls uh, would turn loose and, and break loose, right? And that was called the shaft, or the C-H-A-F-F, shaft, however you say that. And so anyways, they would take their winnowing forks, which the scripture refers to as a fan sometimes in the New Testament, but what they would do is they would toss that up in the air and the uh, hulls, right, it was lighter and the wind would blow it aside and so it would separate it, it would naturally separate it and so the imagery of the shaft the wind blowing it to the side and see that the shaft it's worthless it's trash the wind blowing the trash away aside that is the description or the contrast that's given to us in verses 3 and 4 and then verses 5 and 6 is the uh, the results in other words, the, it makes it clear the ungodly will perish and the godly will live with God forever. It's just as simple as that. So as we look at this and we dive into this psalm just a little bit, it starts with the word blessed, right? And so I know I'm a broken record on this. You've heard me give the definition of blessed who knows how many times and that's fine repetition is how we learn and so we need to understand what the word blessed means right uh, uh, some some translations will just and not just translations definitions or even a bible maybe that has a definition of a word or explanation of a word in it will a lot of times will just simply say blessed means happy and there's truth in that but blessed means so much more than happy it does mean happy but it is happy and more. So I would say the definition of blessed, like I said, happy alone does not do it justice. The blessed are happy and much more. It describe, blessed describes the kind of happiness that comes from receiving divine favor, right? I mean, somebody can hand you uh, a $100 bill that you weren't expecting. Maybe you get it as a bonus from work or, or a, some sort of a refund or return or, or rebate in the mail that you weren't expecting. And so you have got that $100 and you'd be happy. But that's not necessarily divine favor. And so anyways, it's the kind of happiness that comes from receiving divine favor. It is a spiritual joy. See, you could receive that $100 or that whatever that you might call a blessing and still not have spiritual joy. So anyway, so, being ble so blessed is uh, receiving that divine favor. It is a spiritual joy. It is a satisfaction that lasts regardless of the conditions. 
to illustrate my point, you have that you get that hundred dollars, and then you immediately find out you have a bill for a hundred dollars, and the hundred dollars is gone, and so's your happiness. That's not the same thing as blessed. Blessed is a spiritual happiness or joy that lasts regardless of the bills, regardless of the money that you do have or don't have, regardless of the conditions that you find yourself in. I've used it so often, the illustration of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 when they are in the prison, right? They are blessed. They are happy regardless of their conditions. Their conditions weren't good at all. Matter of fact, they were the worst you could imagine. But yet they were still blessed. They were still happy. They were still singing (coughs) spiritual joy. They were singing psalms and hymns, even in the darkest hour. And so it is one, it is a spiritual joy and satisfaction that lasts regardless of conditions that carries you through pain, sorrow, loss, and grief. Just like the person that was mentioned in prayer requests this morning who is way too young to be dying, but yet in their last, for what we can tell, looks like their last days of life. And everyone who visits them leaves there. And they're the ones that's been lifted up, right? There's someone there that is blessed. That's someone that regardless of the conditions of their life, they still have that spiritual joy and satisfaction that's lasting through all of it and is pouring out on the other people that come in contact with them. I think if you wanted to give it a... If you wanted to try to describe blessed in another way, I don't think happy is the right word because I don't think it does it justice. I guess the next best term would be spiritually prosperous. That's what blessed is. So the psalm starts out and says, blessed, right? So remember through all of this, this is who we're talking about, right? If you want to be blessed, if it says blessed is the man. In this case, it just simply means person, right? It means that in the universal sense of mankind, right? The human race. So blessed is the person that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor setteth, or I'm sorry, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor setteth in the seat of the scornful. I want you to notice three things here that a godly person does not do. Did you, did you catch that? Three things, right? That the blessed person, the godly person, the person who is, has that spiritual joy that I've just tried to describe, three things that they make sure that they do not do. The godly person does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Second thing is, is that godly person does not stand in the way of sinners. And the third thing, I'm just telling you what the scripture says here, is that godly person does not sit in the seat of the scornful. I want want to make an observation. Do you see the progression? Walks, stands, sits. Each step, walk, stand, sit. Each one is spending more time with the ungodly. Starting out walking, walking with them, 
then standing with them, then sitting with them. Each one shows being more and more comfortable with the situation. It is a downward progression, right? It is spiraling down. It goes from bad to worse. You start out by listening to the ungodly, right? That's what it means by walks in the counsel of the ungodly, right? Starting out by the godly person doesn't do this, right? But it starts out by listening to them, right? Uh, by by uh, listening to the ungodly. And then the next thing you know, right? The next step is stands in the way of sinners. The next thing you know, you're hanging out with the ungodly. You're spending more time with the ungodly. You see the progression? You see the downward spiral? You start out listening to them. Next thing you know, you're hanging out with them. And before you realize it, you are one. You have become the ungodly. That's what it means when it says, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Think about that. In the, it, it uses um, ungodly sinners and scornful as uh, uh, synonyms, right? All talking about the ungodly. And when you sit in the seat of one, you are one. That is who you have become. So we see in verse 1 the three things the godly person does not do. And then in verse 2, we see two unique characteristics of a godly person. So verse 1, this blessed person, this godly person, right? This is, this is things they don't do. Verse 2, this is things that they do. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. First of all, the godly person, they love the Word of God. They love the Bible. They love the Scriptures. They realize that they enjoy the Word of God. They realize this is where their nourishment comes from. This is where they come spiritually to feed and to strengthen, to be healthy. They realize this is their guide, right? This is the, the, the lamp to their feet, to their path, you know, that guides their way. They realize that this right here is the instruction book for life, right? This right here is where they encounter God. This is where they come just as the shepherds come, went to Bethlehem, went to the stables looking for Christ. This is where we come. Looking for Christ. They think about it. They chew on it. They ponder God's word all the time. They meditate on it. And then the second thing you see there is they actually live the word of God. They actually live the scripture. It's not just something that is purely uh, an academic exercise for them. It is not something that is just a chore for them. It's not something, to them, it's not a magical book of, of uh, you know, spells or anything like that. It's not a, well, if I read a verse or two of it or a chapter a day, then it's magically going to do... No, 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 no. They actually live it. Do you know why? They live it without thinking about it because it is always on their mind. They meditate upon it day and night. The Word of God is always on their mind. That's what they're chewing on. That's what they're pondering. That's what they're thinking about. They do that because they enjoy it, right? They're infatuated with it. 
And when you do, when, when that is you, you will naturally, without effort, without thought, without going through a checklist of do's and don'ts and rules and whatevers, you will just live it. It'll just, it's just who you are. Blessed are they that live according to God's word. I think that's what it's trying to tell us. And then verses 3 and 4, we see the contrast of, uh, uh, between the godly and the ungodly. Right? Verse 3 and 4, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Right? Tree planted by the rivers of water, right? That's the great big tree that's in the riverbank that's going to be there no matter what. He stood the floods that's come already. His roots are sunk in deep. He's going to have water even during drought when things are dry. It is going to be there when everything else is dried up and died. The tree that's planted by the rivers of water are still there that bring and, st- and will produce fruit even in those seasons that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he shall do whatsoever he doeth shall prosper that's the godly and then the contrast is the ungodly in verse 4 the ungodly are not so right this is not a description of the ungodly right this is not a description of the one who listens to the sinful and the ungodly in the world right maybe we should just say it that way the world the ones who listen with the world, the ones who hang out with the world, and next thing you know, they are the world. The ungodly are unstable. It says, the ungodly are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind driveth away. They're the trash that the wind blows around. The ungodly are unstable in all their ways, and they leave nothing but death and destruction behind them. That's the contrast between the godly and the ungodly. The godly, it tells us, are the ones that produce fruit, right? That's what it says. And that might be something, a big point, maybe the main point that you should get from this. Or one of them is, shall bring forth his fruit in his season, right? Blessed man, the blessed person is fruitful. The godly produce good fruit. And in other words, it shows in their life. Uh, this is not something that you only find in the book of Psalms. It's not something that you only find in the Old Testament. You find it through all the scriptures. You find it in the New Testament just as well. In Romans 6.22, the Apostle Paul tells us, instructs us, that ye have your fruit unto holiness, right? Uh, that we, we are to have a fruit, and it's a fruit that's to, uh, to holiness. In Galatians chapter 5, uh, we see that uh, the fruit of the Spirit, right? It tells us the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and uh, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Colossians 1.10 even tells us that to walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work. So the godly bring forth fruit. And then the last part of this, and it's the saddest part, is verses 5 and 6. It's the results. It's the ends thereof. Verse 5 says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
You know there's a day of judgment coming, right? You, you understand that, right? The scriptures make it clear to us. I had said <coughs> that we find Jesus in every page from beginning to end. Uh, we see him, he is the major theme. Um, I don't know if I said this to you a minute ago or not, but they, they say an easy way to remember it is they say in the Old Testament we see Christ predicted. In the Gospels we see Him revealed. In the Acts of the Apostles we see Him preached. In the Epistles, the letters, you know, like Romans and Galatians and Colossians and so on and so forth, we see Him explained. And in the book of Revelation He's expected. He's expected. He's coming back. But you see, he come first time humbly in the manger, just as the shepherds went searching for him in Bethlehem. But when he comes back this next time, he's coming in judgment. He's coming in judgment. Every single person who has ever existed will stand before him without excuse. There won't be no, well, I didn't know, or well... This person was mean to me, or well, uh, yeah, but I knew some people who said they were Christians, but they just acted awful. You will stand there, and you will not be able to utter a word in defense, because you will be defenseless. You'll stand there in judgment. And we all are guilty. All of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You, me, and everyone else that has ever existed outside of Christ have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We will all stand there. We will all be accountable. We will all be held uh, in judgment. And we will all be found guilty. The only difference, the only difference, is whether or not you have accepted Jesus Christ, whether or not you've received Him as your Savior, right? To save you from the judgment, from the wrath of God, from what is coming, from the punishment that you deserve and that I deserve. The ungodly will be separated from the godly in the final judgment. If you look, and I'll end here in Matthew, if you look at Matthew uh, chapter 3, John the Baptist is speaking in verse 11. And he says, I, in, I in, indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier. Remember, this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. He that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, verse 12, whose fan, that's the winnowing fork, right, that separates the wheat from the chaff, right, for the good stuff from the bad stuff, that separates the, the, what you keep, what's valuable, from the trash, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. Garner is the storehouse, right? It's the barn. It's the silo. But he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. 
Jesus is coming and He's separating, right? That's going to be the judgment. The separating of the godly from the ungodly. Those who accept Christ from those who reject Christ. He will not miss any. There will not be a single piece of trash that slips by. If we look in chapter 13 of Matthew, he's the same theme, making the same point. Chapter 13, verse 30 says, Let both grow together until the harvest. In the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. The wheat being gathered in the barn is... A, the garner that from chapter 3, right? The tares is part of that. It's, it's a weed. It's part of that trash. If you go on down to verse 40, he explains this parable here. In verse 40, he says, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. I'm warning you of what is coming. Verse 41, The Son of Man shall send forth His angels. And they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who with ears to hear, let him hear. The God is, when the Lord comes back in judgment, He's going to be separating the godly from the ungodly. What, what did I say a minute ago that made the difference? It's not whether you've done some extraordinary deed or what family you come from or anything like that. It's what you've done with Jesus. It's whether you've accepted Him or rejected Him. And listen to me, the Lord knows who are His. There's no question, there's no doubt. Nobody is going to slip by. Nobody is going to get a pass. In John chapter 10 and verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, I believe it's verse 19, it says, The Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I would say that's part of the proof that we are who we say we are. We produce good fruit, right? Just like it was explained in Psalm 1. Uh, in other words, the proof is in the life that we live. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, down towards the uh, middle of the end of the chapter, I think it's 33 or somewhere in there, it says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Right? In other words, bad, bad company corrupts good morals, right? Bad company corrupts you, right? That's what it's talking about, the godly. The blessed man is not the guy that you find walking with the ungodly. He is not the one that is listening to them. He's not the one that is hanging out with them. It goes on, Paul goes on and says in 1 Corinthians, uh, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. Let me just say this. Let each one of us quit our ungodly ways. My prayer this morning is, probably many of us, if not all of us, are guilty. We've let things creep in that shouldn't be there. Right? We've let things into our life that doesn't belong there. 
Uh, at the very least, we've been guilty of, of listening to the ungodly. My prayer is, is that God convicts every single one of us, me and you both, of those things. That we'll stop that nonsense. We'll get serious about God. Let each one of us quit our ungodly ways. Let us stop bringing shame on the name of Christ. Let us live godly lives. Godly lives. I want to be the blessed man or blessed person, don't you? I want to live the godly life. I want to live the blessed life. I want to experience that spiritual joy and happiness regardless of what life and what this world may throw my way, regardless of what may be in store for me, regardless of what pain, suffering, or grief or loss I may experience or go through. I want to be the one that's still the blessing to everyone that I come in contact with. Let us live godly lives so that we might have an impact, a lasting effect on those near and dear to us. You see, we need to show the world Jesus. Listen to me, and I'm going to close with this. There is only one road that leads to heaven. The world will tell you otherwise, and the world is lying to you. And the world is trying to deceive you. I believe the devil knows that he's going to hell, and he's looking to take as many, with, many people with him as he can. There is only one road that leads to heaven. Listen to me this morning. Jesus is the way. He is the road. He is the ladder to heaven that was in Jacob's dream. He is the way. There is no other way. So my question to you this morning is, which road are you on? Which way are you headed? Which way are you traveling down? Is it straight and narrow? Or is it broad and wide? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew 7, 13, He says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there shall, many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that shall find it. Which path are you on? Which way are you headed? Oh, you know. Deep down, you know. I did. The question is, are you willing to do something about it? Are you ready? Are you ready to turn and head the right direction? Are you ready to be the blessed person? Are you ready to be who God's called you to be? Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you a chance to come this morning. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, if you've got a need, if you've got a burden, whatever it is, would you come this morning? If the Spirit of God is dealing with you about something, would you come this morning? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come?